um, you know, I wanted this movie to be like it's not the most hardcore of horror movies. You know, like like it's meant to be you know scary-ish, but it's it's like, um, you know, like it was meant to be kind of welcoming in a way. You know, like we didn't want to like ruin your fucking Christmas. You know, like we wanted you to watch it at Christmas. You know, like uh, you know, and and that's like the um, you know, that's the balance. Um, uh, yeah, like I definitely have a lot of respect for the 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 you know the movies that are uh, you know are, are kind of just something you throw on like like a like a. Welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. Happy holidays from all of us here at SYG. The winter solstice is upon us, and it's one of the darkest times of the year. So as you're enjoying the lights on your Christmas tree and lighting your Christmas candles, just remember that though the holidays are a time for joy and cheer, it has a much darker history than that. This is our annual Christmas special. It will be our final episode for the holidays, but we'll be back again in a few weeks with more discussions from some of the luminaries of darkness. Everyone has their favorite Christmas movie classics, but perhaps the gold standard is Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, featuring Jimmy Stewart learning that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. It was only a matter of time before some master of the macabre took a stab at this setup for a horror film. And boy, are we lucky that this particular filmmaker happen to be our guest today, Tyler McIntyre, with his new film, It's a Wonderful Knife. If you don't love that title already, you deserve to be boiled in your own Christmas pudding. With a genre cast to die for, a razor-sharp script by Michael Kennedy, who wrote the genre hit Freaky, and a Christmas killer sure to join the ranks of the Christmas classic slashers, It's a Wonderful Knife has all the ingredients to become a Christmas horror fan's tradition. Tyler and I sat down to discuss the importance of inclusivity in modern horror, some tips of the trade for pursuing a career in filmmaking that are sure to be a great help for our aspiring filmmaker listeners, what he took from Hallmark when creating his own Christmas tale, and how the film nods to It's a Wonderful Life in some very sly ways. We also discussed the creation of Justin Long's insane and wonderfully bizarre villain. It's a Wonderful Knife is available on Shudder, AMC+, and everywhere you rent your movies. Okay, let's sharpen our candy canes and get our wings with Tyler McIntyre. Hey, Tyler. Hi, how's it going? Good, how you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it's a little early, but uh, we like to celebrate uh, early November uh, where, where I grew up, so. Well, and by the time, this isn't going to drop until... December so it will be it will be just on time I mean you know it's funny it's like 
we talk about November being too early, but you go into every store now and they're all Christmas and every email I'm getting is from someone talking about Christmas and Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh um it's getting out of hand. Yeah. Well and it's you know, I think it is too. It's it's funny. I, I read this whole article, it was talking about how during the pandemic Christmas was like a way that one of the sort of beacons for people to sort of really focus on to help kind of get their minds off of, you know, how messed up things were at that time. Um, I wonder if that's just sort of stayed with us now to kind of re-emphasis on enjoying the holidays a little more intensely uh, after a, a time of uh, unpleasantness. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that was, I mean, it's such a crazy time because it's like really unlike anything else. And it was a bit like, you know, like the Spanish flu thing that no one is, you know, young enough to remember anymore. And then like, you know, the housing crisis plus like the, you know, like a lot of you know general economic depression. And uh, it's such a kooky thing that really threw a lot of people for a loop. And and I, I feel like I kind of got off light just being kind of, you know, into adulthood, whereas like I think a lot of kids are pretty affected by it. I have two young nieces and it was like just a weird thing for them trying to navigate because they're both at that stage where they're, you know, early in their schooling and they weren't seeing their friends and they weren't going to their classes. And, you know, that there's sort of normality that they were just getting adjusted to all of a sudden wasn't there anymore. I think it was a very strange thing for, for kids, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to, that the, you know, the holidays, I think, uh, kind of crazy that you, you know, there was like that period where you're just like, well, we can't really see people because, you know, because you know, a lot of people have older people in their family and things like that. And it's movie I, I just worked on, uh, It's a Wonderful Knife. Uh, I know it was kind of written during that time by uh, Michael Kennedy. I think he was kind of in a somewhat dark place, but, uh, uh, but you know, uh, I mean, I, I love the holidays and I had, I had, I was lucky enough to have good, um, good holiday experiences even through the pandemic. Yeah. So let's get into, into all that a little bit, but, but I kind of want to start earlier and sort of the, the early makings of Tyler as as a movie buff, which probably starts in your childhood. But do you know sort of how you came to love genre films? My family watched a lot of movies, uh, you know, and and uh, I definitely um, gravitated towards kind of fantastical kind of stories. And so, you know, like I, I have, you know, very early memories, you know, watching like, like I think Ghostbusters 2 or something like that was probably one of my first films, like Back to the Future uh, uh, 2 and 3, you know, those sorts of movies that kind of are very high concept, but very accessible and are kind of, you know, kind of classics in a lot of ways. You know, like the I really loved, you know, these kind of kind of high concept genre movies. And then, you know, as you kind of get older and your taste kind of develop, I still, you know, had a lot of love for for. Uh, genre films and horror specifically uh, because because they you know sit down to watch a movie I, I i typically want things to be pretty fun you know like i don't get as much enjoyment out of uh you know particularly like bleak kind of uh, cinema you know i mean though i have a lot of respect for it and the craft that goes into it it's not often the type of movies that i seek out um and the, and therefore not really the type of movies i make and so that's about as simple as it is, I guess. And do you remember some of your kind of formative horror movies, some of the ones that you really latched onto when you were younger? Uh, when I was kind of getting into horror, like my older brother was, you know, reading a lot of like Stephen King and, and stuff like that, but also just loved a lot of horror films. And him and I were kind of working through all of the horror films in alphabetical <laughs> order in our like video store in the town I grew up in. And you start to discover things every now and again that 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 um, was kind of hard to explain to uh, um, other people who weren't kind of on that journey with you. Uh, you know, like I remember um, discovering like Evil Dead 2 and uh, being like, this is so fun. And like obviously after something else that like, you know, 
a lot of other um, slasher movies and possession movies and zombie movies weren't really after. And it was just super, like, creative and super strange. And I remember my dad, like, coming in and, and seeing, like, a minute of it and being like, this is stupid. <laughs> and, you know, leave. whereas you, you really um, felt like you were kind of on to something or, or kind of understood something that, you know, was you could share with friends kind of, like, one at a time, but, like, wasn't, you know, like, this is kind of early days of the internet. There wasn't the IMDb. You couldn't really... There wasn't anywhere to kind of discuss this stuff because it wasn't like a mainstream thing, you know. So like I think that like that movie in particular and like Peter Jackson's like Dead Alive was a big uh, a big uh, one for me, and so was uh, like Reanimator, um, which is uh, probably pretty obvious if you've seen Patchwork. And uh, there's uh, you know so I, I kind of definitely gravitated towards like the the sillier um, kind of horror movies, uh, you know, like or or you know horror comedies that kind of had a sort of a fun sensibility or when we're kind of playing with, with things on a, on a kind of satirical level. I mean, I guess I, you know, didn't really love the goofiness, but I loved like the idea of kind of using uh camp as an asset, like, like, you know, like where, where people were like, I don't have m many resources to make this film, but I'm going to use that, um, in a, in a, you know, to take you into this kind of outlandish tone uh, you know, where you can really do a lot of damage and, and have a lot of fun and, and you know, give a, a very wild ride to the audience. And so that was something that, that I, I think, uh, you know, kind of stuck in my mind. I think it, it's interesting, too, when you look at some of the early films of, you know, some of the more well-known genre filmmakers, guys like Sam Raimi or, but even Carpenter, you know, whoever you want to look at, Romero, Toby Hooper, all these different people you see. And in, in I think in, in genre films that they have, I think, a little more runway to work with than uh, other genres of film do. Like you can make a horror movie that might not necessarily be terrifying to the audience, but if it's fun, it still succeeds. Whereas if you make a comedy that isn't funny, you have a movie that doesn't succeed. And so horror, I think, for a filmmaker is, is a rather fertile playing ground. And, 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 and I've often thought that's why it is a genre that allows so many talented filmmakers to at least start there. Did you identify with that when you started learning about the craft and learning about filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the early films that I um, made weren't necessarily horror films. Like, like I, I kind of would try out different hats and different genres. Um, and so I did make, you know, like some horror films... Uh, I made, you know, like I made a, like a short film noir called Video Black that was like a, uh, like a, you know, like a film noir spoof, you know, and I made a lot of, um, you know, like a, like a little action movie and a little like a movie. I made a movie that was like, I don't know, 45 minutes long. That was like a silent okay. film. Like there was, you know, like, like, it, but we shot on like a black and white 16 millimeter reversal film you know, shot at 18 frames a second and like with like a wooden tripod, <laughs> you know, like and, and, and trying to like really create that that sort of vibe of those of those movies that I was kind of working my, my way through, like like um a lot of, you know, obviously like Chaplin and Keaton stuff, but like a lot of like Harold Lloyd stuff, which is like a little bit off the beaten path nowadays because no one really talks about Harold Lloyd in the same in the same capacity. And, um, you know, even like those old like Max Senate shorts, like the ones that survived and like, you know, um you know, sort of working my way through film history, but then would kind of do my own little like cover band versions of, of those, you know, as a way of learning and kind of, you know, learning different genre conventions. And so like playing around with genre conventions has always been, uh, you know, part of, part of what I've, I've been doing. It's a fun area because the audience is coming into it, uh, uh, every movie with a set of expectations. Like it, you, I don't think you could find anyone who's never watched a movie really. And so it's, uh, they're always aware of something. And, and even if they haven't seen a ton of whatever you're doing, like they haven't seen a ton of horror movies or a ton of Westerns or whatever you're, you're kind of riffing on, they're still aware of those because they permeate culture in a way. 
you know, and, and you see that it kind of manifests itself in, in very interesting ways. And, and so I think that trying to engage with the audience on that level of like genre manipulation is, is, you know, a bit of a like postmodern idea, obviously, but you know, it, it can, as long as you're not, you know, so meta that you're losing sight of the sincerity of the story that I think you can, you can, it's a really fun space to be. Did you have a particular horror movie? Like we, we've been talking quite a bit about sort of the, 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 the lighter ones, the, the sort of sillier slapsticky evil dead stuff like that. But do you remember a particular horror movie uh, at a young age, I'm assuming it's usually at a young age, but that really scared the shit out of you, like where you just walked out of that going, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I definitely um, had individual things that that uh, were really scary to me. Like, I remember um, seeing Gremlins probably when I was like three or four. Um, and but it was like on right. video and there was just this one. You know, like people think that that's like a fun, goofy movie. Like that's a that's a flat out horror film. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like there's this scene where, like, um, I mean, spoilers, I guess. But the you're you're film. safe with Gremlins, yeah. But uh, anyway, so there's this scene where like Phoebe Cates is essentially explaining how she like found her dead yeah. father like mangled in the chimney, dressed as Santa Claus, and that's how she found out there's no Santa Claus. And and so I remember just being like four years old and being like, there's no Santa Claus. Like, you know, <laughs> like, and just, and it was, it was just quite, uh, like that monologue is so haunting. And, and then, uh, you know, and I watched the movie in a theater here, the, uh, a couple in LA, uh, I don't know, it's probably five years ago or something like that. And I remember like sitting in the audience with a few other people, uh, a lot of which were kids and people like not realizing that it's, you know, like, I mean, Chris Columbus who wrote that script. I mean, it, it, it's sort of like you're kind of engaging on this very like, um, you know, simple level of, of like, it's a, just a playful kind of fun, fun fight. And all of a sudden someone hits you in the forehead with yeah. a sledgehammer. And, and it's just like, like, how did that get through the wickets? Like, it, you know, that's really amazing to me. And I think that's really super fun. And, and so that was a very scary, like, that's just, just, just two people talking yeah. in a room, you know, like, and, and it's really chilling. You know, I, I would say like, that was a, a early example, partially because I was so young and, um, you know, some of the classics, like I remember I had to really, uh, work to get to see Texas Chainsaw yeah. the first time. You know, I had to like sort of pull some really crazy shenanigans to be able to rent it. And then, uh, and then once I got it, it was it, like the, the VHS transfer of that movie is just so not, not quality. Like, like it's, it, but it kind of makes the movie scarier. I saw that movie in 4k this year and I was like, a part of me was like, this isn't the way to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They did a good job. And then I think that the, the, the the company, I can't remember who it was now, but the distributor understood not that to leave a certain amount of grain and to make sure that it wasn't some sleekly polished. But Texas Chainsaw is like, you know, a friend of mine and Chris Alexander said, you want to feel like it, it was sort of scraped off the theater floor. Like it, it should feel pretty gritty and grimy. And, and it's a good looking yeah. movie, but like people for didn't know that know. for years, you know, like it, it's, you know, and so it's, uh, it's kind of a funny thing, but like that makes it even more terrifying. Cause you're just like, what the hell's going on? You know, like you, you only have, and the, I also think that the pan and scan of it really, really messes with your, uh, and like those old TVs with the overscan, like you're even losing more information. And so you, you're seeing so little of the, of, of the intended frame. It's, it's, it's horrifying in it like that Blair witch yeah. kind of way, you know? Yeah. So I remember that being really scary. And then, um, 
I, I, you know, even little things like like Seven, you know, like uh, like that movie. I, I remember being very intense and having a couple like really good jump scares in it. And so, like you know, those movies that kind of get into your soul yeah. a little bit are, are the ones that 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 I really remember. And and though you know, it's funny because you talk about that scene in Gremlins, and it's such a um, it's become such an iconic scene from the movie. I think also because it, it you know it's a scene that it that stuck with every young kid who saw that movie and not just kids, I think a lot of adults who saw that movie too. But yet it's a scene like like you said it's it's two people in a room and it has nothing to do with the creatures and it's just this but you know with the way it's lit and the the I don't remember exactly but in my in my mind's eye there's no score. I don't think well she's telling the story. I think it's very barren that scene's just yeah yeah it, it, yeah if it's there I, th- I think there's something but it's, it's subtle it all goes very background to her narrative and it's like you know I, I've always thought it'd be fun as an experiment to take that scene in isolation and if you showed it to someone who didn't know the movie and said you know here's it check this scene out now tell me you know what what you think this this movie's going to be they probably wouldn't guess it was a pg you know movie that produced toys and like because that was in the 80s i think that could happen i don't know if that can happen now i'm not you don't see much of that now but but it certainly did in the 80s dark like dark crystal remember how it's fucking terrifying that movie is <laughs> like yeah t- totally and 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 that's you know part of it was just kind of like um i think part of it was you could take these bigger swings within a certain context and also i mean the people involved in that movie like um you know like uh yeah, yeah. like Joe Dante and, and like a lot of the producers, like they, they you know, they had, a, you know, a little bit of extra um, pull, you know, at that, at that time, you know, having coming producer, off a couple of hits. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like no one's, no one's like, hey, Spielberg, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. until you recut this movie, you know, like, um, you know, so that's uh, a very, um, you know, that's something to keep in mind for sure. Um, But, you know, um, I, I also think that there's a sense of like, they spent a lot of money, like money is spent on that movie. Like that's a yeah. big, you know, a lot of backlot work, a lot of snow, like winter backlot work. And you know, like it, it's a, it's an expensive proposition to make that movie. And so, you know, like they, like, you know, I, I know studios get, um, are like old kind of classic or more kind of throwback Hollywood traditional studios get a lot of shit for like meddling with artist vision and stuff like that. But I, I think it came with a relatively, um, you know, a, a fair amount of support compared to like, today when when a lot of things are put together independently and you're not you know like like you're sort of writing around resources that you have and um and uh, you know i think it's a bit of a different different um thing you know and they all both have their pros and cons but um yeah i i i, I didn't get the impression that gremlins was you know making a ton of compromises no one way or the other. um now I've, i noticed just you know i'm looking at imdb that you you have a ton of credits as an editor did you start your professional filmmaking career as an editor uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, to be honest, like I grew up like um, making kind of movies in the backyard. And then and I, you know, a lot of that was like either no like in camera editing or like, you know, like tape to tape editing. And then eventually, um, you know, I was able to get a computer that was powerful enough to to edit like digitally when that was sort of taking off. And, uh, you know, um, I really just like making films. So so um, but I would find a lot of people who were who were um, especially in university uh, who were ambitious enough to want to make a film, maybe were actors or, 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 or new actors and, and, you know, like maybe wanted to put in the work to shoot things, but then would have no idea put how together. to together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so we would, uh, uh, so myself and my producing partner, John, uh, Nicoponis, we would often like produce, um, stuff for people and they would use our like camera to like shoot it and, and we would shoot it with them. 
and then they, then I would edit it. You know, so I just ended up doing a lot of post work. Uh, yeah, that like that was a big, uh, you know, like, like thing that I became very uh, familiar with very early. And then, uh, you know, but but I, it was great uh, in that, um, you know, as I, I'm a firm believer that that the best way to get good at filmmaking is to do it, you know, like, like, and it, I know it's a shocking, you know, thing, but there's this, um, uh, you know, myth that, that is perpetuated where like, everyone's like, oh, it's a first feature, you know, like, let's look at this voice, you know, like, and, and the, the, the idea is the dream is that it's, you know, the Orson Welles yeah. thing, you know, where everyone, sh you know, somebody shows up with like a brilliant first perspective and just knows how to make a movie out of the gate. And that's like tremendous, like even that was a fallacy. Like, you know, that's a guy who worked for 10 years in radio and, and, and Broadway at like the highest level before making a film. And even then that wasn't actually his first film. He'd shot, done a short film before. Could probably do like that auteurist kind of like first film thing that is still what everyone's chasing um, in the industry is uh, I think very destructive because it sort of play uh, downplays like the, the, the work it takes yeah. to be, get good at making movies, you know, like, and so, um, you know, whereas I think the only way to do it is to, um, be, you know, think of something, shoot it, cut it, and then show it to somebody, and then lather, rinse, repeat that, as, you know, thousands of times, hundreds of times, you know, like, you know, in many different scenes and scenarios as you can, and being part of that um, as, an, as a, you know, like, producing or helping people shoot stuff, even if I wasn't directing, I would be there on set, you know, like, throwing out ideas or whatever, and then you'd edit it, and then you'd see how people react to it, and then learn something about it yourself. And so um, as a result, I just got very sharp uh, in the, you know, editing stuff very early. And then when I went to AFI, um, you know, it, it made sense to, um, you know, I did a lot of editing there. And then and then uh, it was the easiest way to support myself after after school, even though I was still directing shorts and, and stuff the whole time and writing my own stuff. It, it's just a lot easier to because editing has this technical component to it, similar to cinematography. Uh, so you, because it's um, like a hard skill people will are much more willing to pay for it. Whereas like writing and directing, there's this sense that, well, you don't think that keeping me from being a, a writer and director is, is, is me putting my effort into it, you know? And so people do not want to pay directors to develop projects. They do not want to pay writers to write projects. And that's, you know, I mean, we just had a big strike about it, but um, it, like those skills are, even though they're extremely important are, are something that are, it's much harder to get a, uh, make a living at, uh, you know, when you're in the early stages. Um, whereas editing, like I found was, um, you know, I could edit, anything to keep the lights on. And, uh, and I kind of made a decision pretty early to try and edit narrative films. Like, yeah, it's not so, like you had Hallmark films and things like that. Ilk. Yeah. 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 Like I, I did a lot of indies. I did some docs. I, I did, I did a number of like movies of the week, like kind of Hallmark movies, but also like, like thrillers, you know, like, uh, you know, I did a couple of those and then, yeah, you know, it was, it was just anything that, that I could really do. Um, you know, keep the, keep myself in the game. Cause you're always learning something, you know, like, like, uh, um, and you know, I, I learned a lot from like editing, like movies of the yeah. week stuff, because uh, like the, the, the directors that I work on, were all like veteran directors. And you have a crazy compressed timeline, I'm sure on those type of shows. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. And, and, and yeah, but the, but there are like, you know, your it's, it's, you know, it's true. It's largely traditional coverage, but like the director that I had, uh, you know, I worked with the most was a woman named Rita Graviak, who was just like a, like a badass old school director. Like, you know, she directed like Battlestar Galactica and like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like Lost. I was going to say she worked on Buffy. I, yeah. 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 I know. I know the name. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, you know, just, um, you know, was crushing it in TV for a long time, but like, um, and she was a script supervisor before that. And so just like a really very good uh, technical filmmaker who, um, you know, can teach you things like, here's how you shoot 13 pages in a yeah, day. Right. 
and make it look pretty good. And that's not the that's not what they teach you at film no. school. That's not what they teach you anywhere. You know, like like and you can see somebody do that and not collapse under the pressure. And and those are very fun things to to realize because even though it's like you know it's not the 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 like sexy side of of filmmaking, it, it is extremely practical and uh, and it, it's something that that I rely on often. You know, like is um you know like and and Rita was always very much like would kind of meet things head on and, and had this sort of sense of like, if I need to cut off one of my legs, I get to pick which one, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, like, yeah. and, and so you, you know, she would really protect the movie as like the walls would, you know, cl come collapse in around her, you know, you know, with budget cuts and things like that and, and trying to make things with, with no money. Uh, she would always protect the story. And, and it was, um, you know, really great to see and had a huge impact on the way I work. And it's interesting too. You, I mean, you look at, I remember early in, in in my career, I was sort of shadowing a, a, a fairly prominent AD in Toronto. And, uh, you know, ADs are great people to learn from. Uh, this guy was a veteran, and he'd worked on so many different movies and shows. And uh, But one of the things that, you know, I had shot some shorts at that point, done things like that, and I was saying to him, is there, a, like, a book you would recommend, you know, that you think is great for sort of, you know, just helping me refine the narrative storytelling aspect of, of filmmaking? And he said, yeah, but it's not what you expect. And the next day he came and you brought me Walter Murch's book. And he was like, read this. Oh, yeah. You have to really, really understand editing to be a good director. That was something he kept hammering. And he was like, you've got to understand this process to understand the juxtaposition of images is, is ostensibly what you're entirely what you're doing. And if you don't get that, it doesn't matter how good your story or ideas are, your movie won't won't work and so i remember reading that book and it had such a different perspective because it was obviously focused more on editing but so many of the the craft books i had written they were for directors didn't have that kind of information and i sometimes have told young filmmakers that i think i drew more in my early stages of learning how to be a filmmaker from that book than any of the ones i read on directing yeah i mean walter Murch is maybe the best editor who's ever lived like you know and and that's that's an incredible book um actually um i would recommend uh the conversations as well uh which is like a, a book that um about essentially a, a guy named michael andage who wrote the english patient wrote a book about Mar walter Murch. And it's more about like the story of, of of him and like that whole group, which includes like Francis Coppola and, and George Lucas and those guys, um, and and that's like uh, was important for me as well. Like I I sort of read it as a companion piece to um, to uh, in the blink of an eye uh, when I was younger, and uh, there you know like that was that was something that I I found like, like I, I I haven't gotten a ton of like craft information out of books over the years. Like I feel like I got a lot of that out of more practical stuff. But um, but what I found keeps you motivated is is reading things like um, you know, like Rebel Without a Crew and like uh, and things like that. And like and the conversations is one of those, but like more for that um, kind of movie brats group. And I found that like those sorts of getting inspired by those like people who just went out and did it is the best way to keep yourself motivated when there's no reason to otherwise. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, you know, like I mentioned Evil Dead too earlier, but like there's this kind of book. There's this funny little book called. Um, uh, the Evil Dead Companion. That's like you know, sounds like it's a dumb thing, you know, like that. It's like somewhat. It's like the best like kind I have of it biography on my shelf. of yeah, Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so fantastic. it's so good. And and like I, you know, uh, like that book is like really about like Sam Raimi and Rob Tabbert and Bruce Campbell and the the like process of making Evil Dead and and that whole series. 
That and, and, and that uh, series and, is and so MacGyvered. The first film is like literally they they just made that with shit they had lying around in their garages and stuff, right? It's all invention. Yeah. It, it, yeah, but I mean, but they, you know, they had to like raise a bunch of money and stuff. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, it's like you hear about like, um, you know, like, like the way they did that movie, like inspired, like the way that the the Coens did, like Blood Simple, like you know, and and, and it's a lot of like, if you're raising private equity, um, for for to do a first feature, like we had to do with Patchwork, and uh, it, it's the best, like you know, thing that's like, well, I mean, there's no trick to it. Like asking people for money sucks, you know, like like you know, like but but you know, if you do this, this, and this, you might get it back, you know, like it's it's a, <laughs> like it's uh, it, it is a real like no frills uh, look at that sort of thing, and so like finding those production stories about people um, making movies that I loved um, was a big help for me, like in terms of motivation, yeah. you know, like, and just kind of encouraging you that you're doing, you're kind of developing skills that might pay off some way. Um, and, uh, you know, like, whereas I found, uh, like I, I got very little from, from reading like, you know, like, like story by Robert McKee. It's, you know, like, like you know, I, I Same just, with me. you know, yep. it, for some yep. reason, uh, yeah, like, like I, I get much more out of, out of, making little films and helping other people make films. Uh, and I would encourage people to do that too. Cause it, like, I feel like there's a bit of a, if you want to be a director, there's this sense of like, you don't want to work on a set in another capacity. I mean, and, but I mean, maybe, I mean, you're right. I mean, like you look at my IMDb and it's, it's all yeah. over the place. I have a lot of editing credits. I've got, you know, like script supervisor stuff. I've got first AD stuff. I've got producing stuff, you know, and, and it looks like I, I've been kicking around doing a bunch of random crap, but like, you know, it happens yeah. You learn things, yeah. you know, and, and then when you finally get to the position where you can make your own films, it's, uh, you know, it, it does help to have that understanding when you're collaborating with people because all you do all day is explain um, what you want, you know, to, to other people who want to try and help you. And if you can't, if you don't understand what they're going through, it's it's a lot more difficult. I mean, I like, it's, it's, it's funny to hear you describe it that way. I think about sort of like a point in my career where I was, I was shooting my first feature, a very, very small budget. And like, so we were shooting that on weekends. And during the week I was doing my day job, which was like video assist and playback, but it kept me on set. But it meant I was immersed in filmmaking seven days a week. And, you know, I didn't go to film school. That was being on set doing playback and video assist because I was that annoying kid that was like, can I ask you a question? And whenever the director had a moment, I'd sort of sneak over and be like, can I just, you know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. But I always found that the film community, for the most part, there's always exceptions, of course, because you do meet some dicks. People are pretty generous. There was a lot of great directors that, that you know, and ADs and DPs that, that absolutely were happy to take time with this young guy and kind of go, well, you know, you, you should try this. And But the, the, this, the thing I remember hearing the most was like, just shoot stuff, whatever, even if it sucks, just get out there, get a, you know, whatever you can, get some, grab some friends, grab some equipment and go shoot stuff. And I think, you know, that's, to what you're saying, like probably the best advice, you know, that any young filmmaker can receive is get out there and shoot stuff, even if it's shitty. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, no. And that's like the, even if it's shitty part is, is really what I would underline for people. Um, because like, I think a lot of, I mean, even like, I mean, I, you know, I, I did an undergrad in psychology, but the whole time I was making films and, and, uh, and that was really came out of the fact that like, I couldn't really admit to myself or my family that, that I wanted to work in, in <laughs> closeted in film. filmmaker. And, and, yeah. you know, I can't, well, well, yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, I think, I think they might've suspected, but the fact that it was, uh, um, but like just, a, you know, I agree if you're part, for part of the world where they don't really make films and you don't really know anybody in the yeah, industry and when you grew up in, at all, in, like it seems small town in, in Calgary, Alberta, in yeah, Canada for those who don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I mean like the town I grew up in was 5,000 yeah, right. people. So like, it, you know, like it's not like no one, no one made films 
you know, no one made it living in the entertainment industry in that time, corporate you know? videos, maybe something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but even at that time, right. I don't think so. Like it, it was, you know, it was a while back and, uh, you know, so like it wasn't until I, I you know, um, I kind of had to like sort of teach myself how to do a lot of the thing, these things. And then you, you eventually, you know, like there wasn't even, you couldn't even like look up a YouTube video on, on, on the camera. You'd have to like read the instruction manual and whatever, like, you know, and so it was, um, uh, yeah, like, like you know, but, but getting over that hump of like, oh, actually, I'm going to try and do this in a real way. And that is something that does happen, you know, like realizing, you know, and, and so by the time I got to actually go to film school, which was for graduate school, I, you know, went to AFI with, um, and like moved to Los Angeles. And, you know, like the best part of that was probably like meeting everybody, but the, but like not far behind is just seeing other like great filmmakers, like, you know, bringing in William Freakin and being like, Oh my God! You're like he's just he's just a guy, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like and just realizing that like he's just some guy who's who, you know, is a little manic and and will talk forever, and, <laughs> and he just seems like like a like a friend of yours or whatever, you know. And and uh, and it's um it's a funny thing to just kind of demyth uh, demythologize everything, um, and that was super helpful. Um, Make it all seem a little more accessible. And, you know, yeah, and then, um, but then realizing how many people like got into the program without really making that many movies, like, uh, and and a lot of it comes from fear. Like the thing is, they don't want to shoot something that they don't that they can't stand behind. And I think that's the wrong yeah. way to think about it. Like, I I I do not think that you should like wait to shoot the right thing. I think you should shoot the wrong thing, um, because you're still going to learn eighty percent of what you do if, if, if you did it the other way around. So, um, and you're just going to do so much. Well, less. and it's amazing how many directors have made movies that we now admire and and they and, and you'll hear them say i didn't have any idea we had we just were shooting the thing we didn't we had no concept it was going to be you know like halloween when you heard john carpenter talk about how when he was making that he was like no we had no idea it was going to become iconic we were just shooting this like thing it was you know you hear those stories and you're like you never know how something will land so that's why you have to just take shots yeah well and it's also like weirdly like um a little bit out of your control like, like you know i would say that um you know there's a lot of things that are in your control like in terms of, like you're making all the decisions while you're crafting something but there's so much of of how a movie is is accepted um that is about the audience and what they see yeah. in it you know uh and so and that stuff you don't have a good right. sense of like um you know like as much as you may think you do you don't really uh, and, and so people will pick up things in your movie that you didn't intend and, you know, little, and it'll, it'll sort of show you things about yourself in ways that you, you didn't see coming. And, um, that's like why it's important going through that process. Cause you refine your voice that way. And, um, and so, you know, people are very, very, um, I think apprehensive about making stuff. And, and so like, I'm actually really excited about the, you know, like how, uh, easy it's become for people to shoot anything, you know, like even just like little you know, videos for TikTok or whatever, just because you get comfortable yeah. shooting things and being and then seeing how people reacted to them. Like, why did they like this video more than that video? And like, you know, and you know, but like those skills like are not like one-to-one -one applicable, but they're on the, they're, they're in the on spectrum. The, yeah. On the, on the, <laughs> yeah, on the path. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and so, so just the fact that people um, get used to shooting video and, and, you know, like doing, doing those things, I think is, is only going to make people more versatile. And, um, I think I think what what is more destructive is like you know, the thing that John Carpenter is not you know which is like being pretentious yeah. about it you know like and and you know trying to imbue it with meaning um in a in a kind of overcompensating sort of way and I think he very much is trying to channel that John Ford, oh yeah John's you know, like, like 
Uh, I've gotten to know John a bit, you know, and every always, time I try to pick his brain about his movies, he's uh, like, Ugh, "I don't." Uh, or uh, 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 you about John. Oh, John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I was saying more like in that John well, yeah, Ford mold. Didn't mean you know, him. Like you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where he's just like, oh yeah. I, I was like, you met John Ford. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. Uh. But yeah, he uh, you know, like was completely unpretentious about things and would like almost refuse to engage on an artistic level. You know, like, and uh, it's it's really you know it's uh, you know kind of funny and endearing in a certain way. But um. But he, uh, yeah. I mean, both of those guys are, are extremely um. Uh, nuts and bolts and unpretentious, even though like for people who are tremendously artistic. Yeah, it was funny. I worked with George Romero for a while, and uh, and 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 George was um, such an an interesting blend of that thing you're talking about. The, 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 there's nothing pretentious about George, but then he was also a deeply creative, deeply artistic person, and those things coexisted with Romero in a way that I think was such you know part of why his movies uh, were so impressionable to me because his movies had like these big questions and they were philosophical and they were a lot of them were had a lot to say and and you didn't always see that in particularly in the horror genre where sometimes you know uh, especially as the genre got into the 80s we got into more of the sort of the hacky slashy you know tna type of stuff but you know to see the guys like carpenter and romero hooper these guys who made these horror films that had you know things on their mind um but then the, you you met the guys and 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 they were as you said, the most unpretentious kind of, you know, kind of uh, workmanlike filmmakers with not without any of that bullshit. Which, yeah, yeah, which I saw very little of yeah, on sets you... for bigger shows with with some of the flashier movies I I was on the sets of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and and it's uh, you know, um, anyway, my point is, I think over engaging with like the artistic part of 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 things in term, you know, like, uh you know too, too early uh you know can can prevent prevent you from like just learning the basics of it and getting kind of yeah. scared um to even start you know whereas like you wouldn't trust somebody to like write you know like a like a novel or, or a feature screenplay for you if they've never written anything you know just like you wouldn't trust somebody to direct something you know or or you'd have to surround them by, by a bunch of people who had way more experience with them and then that wouldn't then you know uh, have a bigger effect on it but um you know also, as part of like movies are so expensive, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's 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 hard to do that. But uh, I I don't think they have to be, you know, you, like there's lots of ways to do a lot of damage for very little money, and especially if you're if you make a point of surrounding yourself with people who are doing that, you know, like uh, like people who are, who make stuff frequently and can't help but make stuff. If you become you know find these people and befriend them and help them make their things, they'll help you make your things, and then everyone makes more stuff and everyone learns more and everyone gets better. And that's something I've really learned over the years is that. A lot of like the, the the people that I liked working with in film school have kept working, and we've all ro you know kind of rose together and uh, and it is a bit of a you know like I think people also get wrapped up in like the kind of pettiness of, of things and get kind of jealous of each other and, and the thing is like I don't, there's no real you know end game in that like you really do need to like um, help each other out and and celebrate the wins because they're few and far between but you know the the tide does you know kind of raise all yeah. ships. Now let's talk about patchwork. Um which was your first feature as a director, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, so you made the movie in 2015. Now, this is the synopsis according to IMDb. You can tell me if you if you think this is an adequate synopsis. IMDb isn't always on point with these. Uh, three young women go out partying, wake up attached together as a Frankenstein monster with their individual personalities still intact. The three women set out to figure out what happened to them. Yeah, I mean, it's more succinct than I was uh, yeah. fearing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, like it's it's uh, it sort of came from I had made this 
short film called Patchwork, which um, was more or less a tone test because I essentially I'd written a very dark horror movie called The Dissections, um, which was like my take on like a like a like a serial killer um, versus uh, or like a serial killer zombie film essentially, and it was this uh, you know fun uh, fun script, but it was very very dark and it had some very dark content in it. And at the time, my best short films were were more like whimsical and like romantic and uh and you know still playing with genre stuff but like i didn't have a great like like hard horror sample um and so i was getting a lot of people being like oh we like this script but like um this seems more like a third movie not like a first movie and uh and so i was like kind of heartbroken about it but i was like well maybe i make a short film just to show that i can do something that's kind of chilling like a proof of concept kind of thing and so i made yeah, uh, yeah, but it wasn't this. Uh, it wasn't the story though. Like, like it wasn't the same story. It was. Uh, it was just something that had okay. the same tone. Yeah. Or similar tone. And so, um, so I made this two minute short. Where essentially was, uh, like where you see this, uh, you know, young woman waking up in a in like a kind of dank sort of mysterious space, and there's like this bright, you know, kind of like um, overhead lighting, you know, and and these kind of weird jars with stuff in them, and um, they. Uh, uh, you know, like their, their eyes, you know, and you're seeing like kind of these inserts and things like that. And then, and then you eventually kind of put together that like, oh, they have like weird, like their, their hands look kind of different. They have different nail polish and they have different color eyes and things. And then they go and like pull on a, on a light and they're like this Frankenstein, like this female Frankenstein monster, like kind of stitched together with these very like rough kind of um, stapled together st- stitches. And they have like brown hair on one side and like br- uh, blonde hair on the other side and, and they sort of scream and then right. that's it. Uh, and so... I, people really liked the short and they were like, is there a feature version of this? And, and I was like, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. and so, yeah. so I, I literally like, you know, like, um, like kind of just went and, and started writing one. And, and I was, um, a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Chris Lee Hill, um, who I'd written a, a script with before that, um, was staying on our couch, like in, in LA, <laughs> just kind of visiting. And, uh, and so we, we like wrote this together and as a result, it became a little bit, um, we were trying to find the common ground with it. And, and I was like, well, the short's pretty serious. And, and like, I don't know if the movie should be, cause I think it's kind of an inherently silly conceit and he, and his favorite movies are, are similar. Like he really likes army of darkness and stuff like that. And so we ended up kind of landing back in this sort of reanimator kind of space where we wanted it to be a bit splat stick, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so we ended up kind of making this, um, movie with this, uh, you know, kind of like nonlinear structure to it uh, that had, um, you know, the, these, uh, you know, was, was kind of having that sort of fun, but like we wrote it around some locations we knew we could get and, and around some, some actors that we liked and, and, and uh, that we, we knew. And um, it just ended up being like a lot of fun. And then we were able to get a little bit of the uh, money together for it and, uh, and shot it, you know, very, very cheaply in, in LA kind of, you know, with people um, that we'd gone to school with, um, and, uh, and like Pavel Polgazowski was the cinematographer on it. And, uh, he shot that in Tragedy Girls for me. And, um, and he, he like shot, you know, went on to shoot like Hereditary and like Midsummer and like the Blue Beetle and like, you know, these little you know, movies kind of like crazy that. Movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> little movies. And, um, you know, so, so like it was, you know, we, we had a good team on it and, and it was, um, uh, a lot of people that I, that I, I keep working with and, uh, yeah, but, but, um, then it ended up, you know, like getting shortlisted for TIFF, um, uh, you know, for, for the Toronto Midnight Madness. And then we ended up, um, you know, like Colin, uh, Gettys, who was running that at the time, like, and Peter Kaplowski, who is now kind of the midnight programmer there, they really loved the movie. And, and so we met them at Fantasia that year and then ended up, our movie ended up playing just like a ton of genre festivals. And so I got to kind of travel with the movie and like see these kind of different pockets of the, 
of, of these genre fans all around the world and then see the movie like really kill in like Brazil, yeah, right, you know, like, yeah. and, and, and just be like, you know, like this is a movie that, you know, we, we made for, you know, peanuts and, and, uh, and so seeing it kind of work was, was very rewarding for me because you could, it kind of answers that question. Like you have a lot of self doubt, I think prior to making a uh, first feature. And then once you kind of do it and you see things that you thought of work, um, it can be, uh, you know, it kind of answers like, oh yeah, like I could do this, you know, like, and that was a very, that that was very encouraging at the time. It's something I really needed. It's funny because I, you know, you read some of the re- the reviews for the movie, a lot of good reviews for the movie, and um, but but I kept seeing this common thread of 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 it being referenced as a, you know your Frankenstein movie, and and I kept, you know, to me that the movie right off the hop, like it's the reagent from Reanimator. Like I was like, this movie is owes far more to Stuart Gordon than it does to James Whale. <laughs> like I'm just wondering if that was, if yeah, that wasn't, sure. you know, if Reanimator was a bigger influence really than, than Shelley's book and, and story. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I actually don't really like Frankenstein, the book, uh, you know, like, uh, it's not, it's not like I, I, you know, of the, those classic kind of Victorian like horror stories is probably my least favorite, um, which is weird because a lot of people love it. Um, but I do like the, the Frankenstein movies and I do like, um, but it definitely owes a lot more to, to those movies that I kind of mentioned off the, uh, off the bat, like the evil dead reanimator, um, dead alive. Like that was kind of my main inspirations. And it has a lot of that, like Raimi, you know, physical, physical comedy stuff, you know, in it. And again, like we just had a, just as someone who was very gifted with movements and, and a lot of our main references were like, like there's this uh, movie called All of Me uh, that's like a you know sort of like a um, um, multiple um, people kind of in control of the same body sort of movie and and then like Inside Out kind of came out like after or like kind of while we were cutting the movie and we were like oh it's kind of like Inside Out you know <laughs> like it has this um, you know uh, uh, like there's this mechanism in the movie where um, there's these three women who've been sort of chopped up and then reassembled as this Frankenstein but they're sort of sharing custody of this body. And then we have these scenes where they're talking to each other and you see them like in their full bodies, like just having a discussion in the same space. And then you sort of cut wide and it's the monster kind of talking to themselves, trying to figure out what to do. It's funny, you know, when I was watching the movie, I was sitting there thinking like in a different framework, this is like a Disney comedy, you know, like <laughs> this sort of yeah. premise of, you know, I could think of like, like inner space, you know what I mean? That, that kind of, some of the comedy yeah, is sure. even played in sort of that way, except, you know, this is in the confines of being a horror film. Yeah, and people were really like, like, I mean, considering how like small the movie was, people were really into like, like they, they all got the tone of it and were, were, you know, very willing to be ridiculous, you know. Um, and it was, um, uh, you know, like I, I, I think it, you know, it, ha- it has the benefit of like tremendously low expectations. <laughs> like when yeah. you make a movie for for that um, amount of money, like people, like every laugh you get is a chip one, you know, like and it's, it, uh, it's, um. Because, like, you know, there's a lot of really, um, uh, you know, like, like, it's very tough to make a movie on that scale. Um, and and there's a reason that, like, a bunch of them get get made and they never released, you know? Like, there's a lot of regional filmmakers making making films. Some of them are great. Some of them are not. And a lot of them you never hear of. And even, you know, like, um, and so, like, you know, just the fact that, like, we, we were able to play so many festivals. And then also, like, we were on Netflix for three right. years. Like, you know, like, like, you know, from, like, 20, I don't know, 20... 16 to 2019 something like that but like you know a lot of people saw the movie in that context and then you know even now on Tubi like I still get you know I still get messages about it that people are sort of stumbling onto it it's funny too because you know it has it has these great sort of 
references to, to other films and, and that's in a lot of your work little easter eggs and things like that to, to clearly you know movies that you love and movies of, of a, a similar ilk and but i loved the little touches in the movie too like the that the bad commercial that we see at one point uh you know that's like so kind of bad in the right way i love like movies so i love like little movies within a movie like like you know i love the like like you know like i'm always shooting like you know like little videos that are within a i just love that stuff like and, and i like um you know like even on, on patrick like i brought uh, a friend of mine tom morris who's like a a, a director and um does, uh, you know i edited a couple of his films and he directed like that little there's like a little segment in it where they have we have this like fake macgyver like show um, you know, and, uh, and, and so he shot this like little version of, of that in my garage, you know, like, uh, on like our camera test day, you know, just so I, and I wanted to have a little different, different flavor than if right. I did it, you know? And so, you know, but then I, but then those, the, the commercial, I was able to shoot myself and, you know, so it's, it's like kind of funny to, to, you know, put that stuff in, um, cause you can, you can sort of collaborate like that and, um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, I have a lot of affection for that for that movie and that and that time and and like you know, you mentioned like Stuart Gordon being a big influence, like he, you know, he actually like you know he he met with me about the script a, a number of times and 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 like we had like a really long breakfast and kind of like talked it through together and he was um, originally supposed to be on a, as an EP and um, and we like you know it just didn't end up um, we didn't end up you know we didn't end up working out but but like he he still like watched the, you know some cuts and like gave us feedback and was like a pretty big. A supporter of it uh, you know and this was around the time he was doing reanimator the musical and um and i got to you know like uh eventually kind of met more people kind of in his orbit but but um you know i uh, he was you know like just the most giving you know person in the world and a lot of like the filmmakers i, I met kind of that generation are very like if you can get some face time with them like they just like to talk about movies and uh and he was um you know uh very um like he seemed to really like the movie, and and you know I'm I'm hoping he didn't find the references to to his work too cheap. What's well, funny? Know? I I got to know Stuart really well when I first moved to LA, and because he was like I remember I just, his email was direct email was listed in IMDb Pro. I, you could just email him, <laughs> and like so I just sent him an email and told him you know sort of how important he was to me, and and asked him if he would meet with me. He said sure. So I remember going down to his office and telling him about you know what I wanted to do, and and we became friends that one. And as you said, he was so generous, and and I was making a film at the time, um, and and I I I swear accidentally ripped off a line from Reanimator without realizing I was doing it in the movie. And when I was sitting in post, I remember thinking like, Oh my God, I did not mean to steal this line. We have to, I should cut this. And I showed it to Stuart. I was like, uh, he was like, no, 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 keep it in. It's great. It's great. It's, it's a good line. You should keep it in. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad he didn't interpret this as like, thanks for ripping off my movie, dude. Um, but uh, yeah, Stuart Gordon was, was I think like that for a lot of young filmmakers. He was really accessible and generous that way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I know like um, like Graham Skipper, who was like you know in that Reanimator musical. Like, you know, he's gone on to direct some more stuff and been in a ton of stuff. And like Joe Bigos is kind of in that orbit as well. And like, uh, yeah, that's how I met Joe. Yeah, yeah it was through Stewart. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, like Jackson Stewart. I know and him and um, you know Stewart and Brian Houston were really close. And you know, anyway, it's uh, um, you know, it's kind of fun. There's a lot of like you know genre filmmakers that he's definitely um, had an impact on. Watching the movie, it was there was one thing I kind of noticed about that that someone who who hasn't lived in Los Angeles, especially in the, in the kind of 
show business side of Los Angeles might not necessarily pick up on. I mean, the movie is a horror movie, but it also has a lot going on about, you know, concepts of friendship and sort of finding your tribe. But there's such an L.A. specific quality to the kind of loneliness these women, you know, the core characters are going through and that they're feeling and, and the social scenes they're stuck in. Was that something that for you at that time in your life in L.A. you were observing and, and finding yourself a part of? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's kind of where that that came from. This big it was a big part of the, what we discussed, and and they were kind of lonely in their different ways. You know, like like one is kind of lonely in a crowd, and one is sort of you know, um, you know, kind of has this sort of two faced kind of element, and then one is like a legit you know that job. Weirdo. And so <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah it, it's uh, you know, like and so that was kind of part of the fact that like they're kind of lonely, and then and then like we wanted this to be, uh, you know, when they sort of come together, like it's it's interesting because they kind of find what they've been missing, you know, but it also has this sort of ironic meaning to it. And that's something I always loved about the way that was laid out, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, man, uh, you know, like I, I mean, it's also such a snapshot too because like, you know, we shot like it, it, in LA and I was like, you know, it's, it's very much like a, you know, a movie that, that uh, there's so many people in it um, who are like, you know, people that were friends of mine, like in my like mid to late, late twenties and like places that I would hang out and like, you know, like it's, it's really funny to, to see it. Cause it's like a bit like a family movie in a way. And in, in that it has like a lot of, um, you know, things that kind of remind you of kind of who you were at a certain part of your life. And, and that's the magic of, you know, making films is, is that you, um, I, and that's why I encourage people to bring, you know, bring people that they like or friends of theirs. And, you know, like there's this kind of weird sort of thing about like, don't, don't cast friends of yours or, or like, you know, people get weird about like being like, Hey, you know, would you consider me for this? I don't think it's weird at all. I, I, you know, like, you know what you're getting, you know, to a certain extent. And I, you know, I, you know, I, it's, I like filling production roles and, you know, performance roles with people that I enjoy being around. Um, because, you know, a lot of, you know, making those individual decisions is not often enough to like really skew the whole, the whole enterprise, you know? Uh, and, and I like filling it with, with people that, you know, you want it, you want it to feel handmade. You want it to feel, you know, created by people who love each other. And, and, and that's, and that's a big part of and it. And that shorthand you have with, with friends and people that you've worked with before is so invaluable. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a practical component. It yeah. saves time. That's the totally. other thing is, you know, I also still don't understand why people are just like, oh, I can't work that with that actor again. We had such a good time last time. I'm like, that sounds crazy. <laughs> to me. That sounds like actual crazy talk. You know, like, um, I'm like, that is the reason to yeah. work with them again. Yeah. You know, um, also, I think Owlcat should get a spinoff. Um, uh, I mean, he just flew out of the door and into his own yeah, movie. So that's, that's I'm, I'm waiting for that movie. Um, okay, Tragedy Girls, 2017. Uh, a twist on the slasher genre following two death-obsessed teenage girls who use their online show about real-life tragedies to send their small Midwestern town into a frenzy and cement their legacy as modern horror legends. Hey, I mean, it sounds brilliant. I don't know who wrote that, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it's definitely like, uh, um, you know, a send up of, of slasher films. Um, like what, you know, when we were brought onto the project, it, it, there was a script that existed um, that was written by a, a guy named uh, Justin Olson, who I've still never met. Like the script was a bit throwback. Like it, it really kind of felt like it was trying to be part of like the 90s kind of horror cycle. Like it was a bit, like it was quite urban legend or I know he did last summer. It was more of a straight ahead horror. It was very straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, like, you know, like it had a little, like, but it was, it was a traditional, like it was trying to be like a whodunit, okay. but like it wasn't a, I, I didn't think a particularly good whodunit. And, and nothing against that, you know, like that script. It was just a different type of film and not really the type of film I was really interested in making because slashers at that point were very much on the outs. Like we didn't really, no one had, like, 
there was this time where I mean, like the, the arc of horror in my estimation has been like um, in the in the early like we came off like all these great horror films in the eighties, like a lot of classics, and then the horror films kind of cooled off, you know, and and you had like instead like like Jurassic Park and stuff, which had horror elements, but was like a mainstream film. And then like horror in the nineties was like, um, was really trying to find its footing until scream, yeah. you know? And then once scream kit, you, know, cause we had all these like things like, like, um, you know, nightmare on Elm Street was like piddling out, you know, and, and then you had like new nightmare kind of like with some new ideas in it. And then like Wes Craven, you know, and Kevin Williamson making scream, you like took all this, you know, all these lessons from like John Hughes movies and, um, and then all these like horror films of the eighties, and then you really like distilled it down to this really perfect film. And, and it's so good that it like convinced, you know, horror, anyone who's ever seen a horror movie that, that slashers are always whodunits, which is not really the no, case. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it became, yeah, it, which became this like, um, you know, a really, uh, you know, seminal film for a lot of, a lot of younger people. And it was just like every bit as good as like, you know, Dawson's Creek, you know, like in terms of like relationships and getting into that stuff, but then also had these really visceral, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street-esque, um, you know, like kills and, and and sequences that were so exciting. And it just was such a, a perfect film. And it kicked off, then there's a lot of things that were were echoes of that and, and had, you know, their own value in different ways. But but that really, you know, it got almost too silly, you know, with like the scary movies and stuff. And then it kind of went over this edge where, um, you know, after 9-11, people weren't as willing to yeah, laugh right. or something. And so like, you know, that sort of stuff became even sillier. And then people, then it wasn't until like Saw showed up that people were like, no jokes, yeah. you, <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. you know, like, like, like movies are not funny at oh, all anymore, you know, like kind of thing. And, yeah. and yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and so, so it was just, but we needed that palate cleanser, you know, and then, you know, with very few exceptions, the next 10 years really didn't have any horror comedies, you know, other than like Shaun of the Dead and maybe like Zombieland, like there, and maybe Tucker and Dale, like there's not really anything else. Um, and so, and there also weren't that many slasher movies unless there were Saw movies. And you had this kind of like, you know, um, genre that, that are, you know, that people weren't making slasher movies really other than, um, you know, like, I guess Adam Green, like the Hatchet series, but like, like, like it's not, there's not a lot of slasher And movies. even Hatchet is, is more almost like of a, it's almost like a spoof or something, you know, in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, you know, like I, you know, that movie is, is after something else, but I, I, I would still say it's a right. slasher. Like, um, but it was, anyway, 2015, people weren't buying slasher movies. We were deep in like possession, like, yeah, like conjuring, conjuring, like haunted, yeah. Haunted right. House supernatural right. territory. And so I really want to make a slash movie because that's my favorite like subgenre. And um, but but I was like, it has to have more to it than this script does. So we kind of started riffing and and uh, like Chris, who I wrote um uh Patrick with, um is my uh, main writing partner, and we started kind of um you know, talking about these ideas and we essentially backed our way into the opening scene of tragedy girls, which is like a where you're sort of feeding the audience cliches yeah. where you have like the, the you know, like this this couple and lovers lane, you know, like in a red sports car, like making out. And then all of a sudden there's a noise outside, you know? And, um, and then we tried to like twist that so that, so that this big hulking killer gets caught. And then, and then instead of like, you know, like him, you know, like being tortured, it's even weirder. You know, it's, it's like they captured him to learn how to do what he does, you know? And, and it's, um, it's interesting, you know, like it puts you behind the narrative in this way and it creates a lot of weird opportunities because you're, essentially trying to create a slasher movie or move the slasher structure where you're with the killers. And, um, and so the drama of every scene is not like I'm, I'm with the point of view of somebody who's not trying to die. It is I'm with somebody who's trying to do something that's not going yeah. quite right. And, and it's a weird like comedic, like you're building to jokes <clears throat> and stuff. And um, I think that's why a lot of like, 
like the super hardcore, like entrenched kind of horror fans didn't really click with Tragedy Girls because it's after something yeah. else. Like, you know, um, and it's, it, it, it is scary in, in moments, but like the ideas are more disturbing than the, than the, than the jumps, you know? That subversion of, of sort of the tropes is declared right off the hop. Like from the, that first scene, yeah. it's very clear that, that this is not going to be, you know, a straight ahead slasher picture. And, and, and I think that that was, you know, that's wise because if, if, if a person's coming to the movie for that, that gives them a chance to go, Oh, this isn't the flavor of, of what I wanted. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty clear from that, from the get go that, that we're taking a different perspective on that on this genre. Totally. I mean, but like, I think we were upfront about that in the trailer. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like, I don't think we like really missold no. people. And, and at the same time, like, I do think we like, you know, are progressing ideas that were out there. Like, you know, like, um, like the end of Scream 4, you know, like, like has elements For of sure. this, like in the terms of like the, the, the well, fame. It's, it's, you, know, you, you know, what's funny is it's like, Tyler, there was, a, I was, I swear to God, this popped in my head while I was watching Tragedy Girls, which I saw for the first time to prepare to, to talk with you. And I, I thought it was fantastic. I really enjoyed the film, but, but the, the two main gals, the, the heroines of the movie almost feel to me like they are more or less on some level, a, a female version of, of Billy and Stu from scream. If it, it's the story was from that perspective. Yeah. And we have a couple nods there, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like there's this one scene where, um, where like uh, um, Michaela puts like her head on on Sadie's shoulder, like kind of similar to how how Stu does to Billy at the end of, of Scream, and it's just it, it's just a brief kind of moment, but but um, but I, I wanted to get that specific thing in there, and it was um, you know like like you know I, I wasn't like you know using that as like the biggest beak in the world, but a lot of people have picked that up over the years, and I think it's it's um, you know like it, it, that's a very legitimate way of of looking at it because because but at the time like that was a way to reinvent the slasher was to get, take it behind the scenes. Um, and then you set your, but then you also really have to follow that idea through. Like you can't just make it about like, Oh, and then we jump out of people's perspective. You have to be actually with the killer and actually with the psychology of that and actually unpack it in a way. And it was weird. Cause like, you know, like some reviews like were coming out where people were just like, um, saying, you know, things like, ah, oh, it's just, it's really cliche. I was like, I don't know if I can point to another movie that does this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you know, like as a conceit, like, like, like maybe the, like the, uh, the rise of Leslie Vernon, like that, that movie, you know, like, great. that was a great but, movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's more kind of movies playing with slasher tropes, you know, now, but like we were kind of the tip, like, like we played South by Southwest March of 2017, you know? And then at that time we were like the only slasher movie kind of within like, you know, pitching distance of that whole year. And then like happy death day, I think it was shooting at the time. And then it came out about a couple weeks before us, you know, in, at the end of the year. And so like, it's, um, it's interesting to kind of like, you know, um, uh, like, you know, and then there's just been a ton of slasher since then, like, you know, Halloween 2018 and like, you know, uh, you know, now we're like, you know, deep into the, deep into the slasher territory. It's interesting too, you know, you, you look at a film like this that, you know, there, there's a, like all your work, there, it isn't just, you know, any one thing there's, there's commentary going on about, you know, social media and a celebrity and, uh, you know, all these components. Yeah, like there, we really were knocking on the door like this true crime kind of thing, like the idea of of like people being fascinated with tragedy, you know, and that was a big, you know, thing. Like that's why we like the title so much. Um, and that's kind of the really only thing that remained from that original script was the fact that that or was that, that they're, them being or like the these two young women who, you know, called themselves the tragedy girls. And that was a um, sense of like, how do we um, narrativize death, you know, and, and what is that? Um, and 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 death as as entertainment on some level, right? Yeah, 
Well, totally. And, and, and this, like, you want the, um, you know, like, like they're also kind of fascinated with being like victims as well as, as well as, as well as perpetrators. Like they, they, they really get off on the idea that they are like, um, you know, also getting the sympathy yeah. of it, you know, and, and there's something to that, that, that I think is very interesting and very apt and, and, and it's satire ultimately, but like, it's, it's, you know, and then, you know, like while we were editing, like Trump got elected and then things just became real weird, like in terms of like what was fact and what right. was fiction in, in the news cycle. And so it's become kind of weirdly more timely, like as things have gone on, but we dug in around like that, that true crimeness of it. And we, we sold a pilot to um, effects called red herrings that was um, doing a similar thing, but more with the mystery genre um, uh, in like a series format. And it didn't end up going, but it was something we really loved um, developing because it allowed us to dig into those those themes that we'd sort of encountered in Making Tragedy Girls, but then hadn't been hadn't really been able to explore. It's an interesting thing when you're watching the film and you look at these two women and beautifully acted characters as well. Uh, but but there's this thing where I was thinking, you know, it's it's so important to the movie that I think the comedic aspects um help keep this from becoming too dire like if you look at the movie from a different perspective the two characters that are ostensibly our heroes quote unquote um are, are monstrous and doing horrible horrible things um and yet the audience roots for them uh but but for you as a filmmaker i'm just curious like were there ever times where you where you did things, certain things or thought about certain things and were like mm, i think the audience will turn on them if they do that or say that or behave in that way yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was a constant battle. Like, you know, we definitely were trying to gather, um, you know, like, like enough material that we weren't boxed in, in a certain way. And like, um, when you, when you cast somebody like Al Ship in particular, um, she is very much, you know, like a fountain of great ideas, but, but they're not all like the right tone for the right moment. So you have to kind of like, um, you know, like if there's like, if she gets too spiteful in, in a moment, you have to kind of like, you know, make sure you've got an alt to figure things, you know, or to, to counterbalance it. And then you have to, you know, in the editing room, kind of be very honest with yourself about how that's coming across. And, and, you know, um, yeah. And, and, and we, you know, we knew that it was, wasn't going to be for everybody in like the second or third scene of the movie. Uh, they end up like murdering somebody who's like really defenseless in like a very cold way. And, um, and it's not funny and it's not like, you know, like, um, it's, uh, it's funny in a, like, whoa, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, like, um, as a moviegoer, it's, it's a little bit like intellectually funny, but it's not, it's not played for laughs. And, um, you know, and then we just jump into like a bubbly sequence, you know, and, and it's, um, there are people who are unwilling to go on that journey with you. And, uh, you know, and we did encounter that. Like we, I was on a podcast, um, that used to be on called shockwaves. It was like a horror podcast. Um, and we had this real, like, like a uh, long discussion about that because actually one of the guys who was, who was the host was just like, like, was like kind of thought the movie was like pro murder, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, and I was just like, it's yeah. like, I mean, satire, yeah. man. I don't yeah. have to tell you, like, you know, like we're just cause you're depicting something does not mean you're endorsing. Well, and it's like, just because you don't. Yeah, it's one of those things, too, where it's like, just because you didn't get the joke doesn't mean it wasn't funny. It just means you didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and yeah, I mean, it's that's like being like, oh, man, you guys made this documentary about Ted Bundy. You know, like, uh, you must really love Ted yeah, Bundy. You yeah. know, like, it's it's like it's a very stupid way of looking at art. And, and it w so we had this, um, you know, like, uh, you know, very long discussion where, where we kind of had to sort of explain what satire was. And uh, and. Uh, you know, and you, you can't stop and do that. Like you can't go to the theater and like tell everybody what you thought, you know, like you, the movie has to kind of stand on its own to a certain extent. And it, and it, 
doesn't always, you know? And so um, that's okay, you know? Like, I, there are people who were not meant together, you know? And, and that's fine, you know? And it's, um, you know, but again, it's also like I, you know, like this is also the, not the type of movie that you go in being like, oh man, this is going to be, is a 97% yeah, of yeah, Tomatoes yeah. or whatever the fuck, you know, would be the bar of a good movie, I, you know? Um, and so you, you kind of have to be okay with people not connecting to it. Uh, and it's also not their type of, like a lot of people don't like get into this, uh, un, you know, uncomfortable place where, where they feel like they're with care, like they're sympathizing with characters or laughing at characters, or laughing with characters um, who aren't doing good things morally. And that's challenging in a way that people don't want to be necessarily challenged. And there's like, and, and we were trying to keep it all kind of fun and games until a certain point. And then like add it. And then there's this moment where, where they do something that's like unforgivable. And then, and then after that, it becomes like, you're sort of in this kind of surreal place. And we wanted it to be kind of like a taxi driver kind of thing where like, he does like, he's like, he does a crazy thing all under this justification of, you know, like, like saving this, this girl, but, but then, and then he ends up in this sort of fantasy world, you know, kind of ending. And, and that's, um, uh, you know, like we had this sort of, um, I, you know, kind of ironic high energy ending to a movie that after they just did something that is ostensibly unforgivable. And the question becomes like, are you going to get on board with with the tone or not? And 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 that can you know was really divisive. Yeah. You know, like I and, feel like American uh, Psycho, you know, was a movie that had this. The, the, at seven. Well, exactly. We love American Psycho. You know, like and and but but no one really like that was marketed kind of as a horror yeah. movie. You know, like and people didn't understand it. Stand how good that movie is. You know, like and that's very but it's very very pointed satire, yeah. and um, and yeah, and so that's you know like was just what we were trying to do, and 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 uh, I think people really reduce it to like. Well, it's just a movie about these girls killing people for likes, you know, kind of thing. And it's, uh, and and that was definitely not our our intention, even though that is part of the, you know, the. It's mechanism interesting too. It. I think just because you know you look at those two characters from the standpoint of that they're played by you know these attractive, really talented actors, but but you know there's also a, an aspect to me where if you're not really paying attention to the film, I don't think that you asked us in this film to relate to those women in in what they're doing or endorse it or support it or think it's cool they're not they're not written as characters that were that are they're not like in the same way that patrick bateman is not a guy that we're supposed to want to be like uh that's part of the point you know what i mean but there are yeah and, and, it, and it's interesting because like there are people who watch wolf of wall street and they're like oh man those guys are baller you know like, i know, you know and like, i met uh, yeah i i remember meeting those guys in la and it's like, it's like <laughs> I, I don't know if i can help you you know like it, 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 it's uh yeah so it's uh you know like uh, and then you know so you have to kind of i think take those risks because because like I, I you know I'm, i feel very comfortable with what the movie's st saying and discussing and i also like playing with people on the fence like i like the idea that like you should be conflicted about getting on board with them and you should feel empathy for them in certain moments and you should be, and we are trying to tr like, like, uh, like Jack Quaid's characters, kind of my favorite, uh, you know, like mechanism in the movie in that he sort of thinks he's in can't hardly wait yeah. or something, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. he, he, like he's kind of like, he has it. He's all in on this. I just cannot see her in this other way, you know? I, and when he dies, it's funny because Tyler, when he died, that's that moment where I was like, that's the one where for me where i really was like oh these it's, it's a horrible scene like it's you like that guy you don't want that to happen to him uh and but it's what should happen to him 
Well, totally. And there's this scene like right before that where they're at prom and he's just very much like now that they're together, he's very much just like bulldozing her like and and like, you know, like not not, you know, like and you and you're supposed to kind of get that like, oh, yeah, like they're not yeah. on the same page, you know, like and and it's and it's, you know, like and he's like he's toxic in this way that they, you know, even though that is likable in a certain context is not ultimate like so it kind of makes a case for like, you know, this. Uh, you know, uh, you know, anyway, it, it, like I, I, I'm trying to have it sort of put these, um, these, uh, you're supposed to, you know, uh, like, n you know, not like him for, um, for, for being like suffocating and clingy and, and, um, you know, really trying to make her somebody she isn't, you know? And so if you, and, and, you, but the film asks you to champion that over literal murder. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and, and so, so it's, it's a fun, like, you know, kind of fantasy, like headspace to play in, in my opinion, but there's also people who don't want, uh, who, who aren't looking to engage with it on that level or, or have been tuned out for whatever reason. And, you know, fair enough. But, um, but a lot of people, I, we found particularly younger people um, like the film uh, and, and, it, and, you know, younger women um, are often the, the type that kind of message me about it um, where they just like stumble onto it on Tubi or something. And then, and then, then we'll, you know, like say that they really, really enjoyed it, you know? And, and, and again, it's like, you know, it's like, I'm glad somebody enjoyed it, you know, <laughs> like that's what really what you want is, is, um, cause I've seen it play well in a crowd, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, it's, things about it are working overall, but, um, you know, it's, it's good to kind of, you know, like, like have people pick up on the, on the small stuff that you put in, you know? All right. Let's talk about, it's a wonderful knife. Um, I love the movie. I'm a huge Christmas horror fan. So uh, you know, like as soon as someone even tells me that's the the sub sub genre we're playing in, I'm I'm signed up. But uh um th this is your uh your your newest film and the synopsis goes like this according to IMDb. After saving her town from a psychotic killer, Winnie Carruthers uh Winnie Carruthers' life is less than wonderful. When she wishes she'd never been born, she finds herself in a nightmare parallel universe where without her things could be much much worse. But on point, you think? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, it makes it makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, like we're definitely, you know, it's not a like beat for beat remake of um of uh, it's a wonderful life. Um, but but uh, you know, it definitely has that same sort of magical conceit um to it in terms of like there's a wish that kind of shows you an alternate version of of your reality. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's it's de it's definitely um you know about uh, um you know a, a young woman who's who's sort of goes through this kind of trauma that she doesn't expect and then is able to, uh, or, or kind of finds herself in this very dark place uh, where she can't really rely on like her friends and family and is sort of dealing with this kind of survivor's guilt and then kind of spirals. And what made you decide that you wanted to do a Christmas horror movie, which is a very specific subgenre of, of film? I mean, I love Christmas and I love horror movies. So, so uh, you know, like, I, and, and I like Christmas movies uh, specifically. Um, so it's been a bit on my on my bucket list to do a um, a Christmas horror movie, and um, you know, uh, and so when this kind of came across my desk, like I, I liked a lot of the people involved. Like I I met um, Michael Kennedy because um, after Freaky came out, people were kind of drawing sort of comparisons between it and Tragedy Girls, um, and uh, and so we kind of met and sort of dug each other, and uh, and then uh, we're kind of keeping our eyes peeled for something to do together, and and at the same time, like I um, I had gotten to know. Um, uh, the divide and conquer team, like, um, Adam Hendricks and Greg Gilreath, uh, and, uh, and then Seth Kaplan, who were, were kind of the producers on it, uh, was, um, somebody who, who went to AFI as well. And, and so I, um, you know, and he actually recommended Brianna Hildebrand to, to me, uh, for tragedy girls, um, cause they'd worked together on first girl I loved. Um, 
and so uh, so we kind of had been sort of keeping our eyes peeled for for things, and and then so I ended up kind of on the list of people who received this. And um, when I'm looking for stuff to direct that I haven't written, um, I'm always kind of looking for things that uh, are things that I wouldn't normally write. And so you know, even though this kind of seems like it's a bit in my you know wheelhouse, it would um, it, it's kind of you know like a lot of the things that I write tend to have um, sort of a lot of satire as we've kind of discussed. Right. And this really, um, you know, had some elements of that, but it, it was it was more, uh, it was much subtler, um, and then had, um, it, like, it kind of really means it in a way. Like, it, it ends up in this very sincere place, um, and is and is like at its heart meant to be an uplifting slasher movie. And I thought that was a really, like, was something that I wouldn't normally write myself, and and was something that was very attractive to see if I could tell that story effectively. Um, and then, you know, like through development, I, you know, was able to kind of sharpen some of the satireness of it and kind of sort of target these kind of holiday films that, that were more, were more, uh, common to see these days. And, and, and we're, we're able to kind of chase down some themes that I, that I, you know, uh, wanted to engage with, uh, and, um, but, um, you know, trying to keep that sort of emotional core, um, you know, uh, authentic. The movie has lots of fun references to other, you know, Christmas classics, but, uh, but, Obviously, It's a Wonderful Life is the most present one. Um, what do you think it is about It's a Wonderful Life that, that, that you know, at a conceptual level made you believe, you'd like, hey, there's a way to do a horror take on this on this iconic movie? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think, I mean, you know, I really was a fan of what um, of what Happy Death Day did and what Freaky had done. Um, you know, I did I did kind of think that that's like a really fun, you know, because, I, you know, you often come up with like guiding lights, um, you know, when you're doing a movie and, and having something that's so literal, like where you're doing a spin on it, you know, is, um, you know, is, is interesting because because like, you know, like it's a very clear buy in for right. everybody, you know. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, that was attractive to me, you know, like, um, like I think inherently, like it has such a positive assumption right. about it, you know, like, and, and, and there's just fun creating juxtaposition, you know, like, and, and that works with crystal movies and horror in general in that you have this very cheery, warm energy and then contrasting it with very horrific stuff is inherently, you know, a fun space to be. And, and that movie's, I think particularly right because it's like you know, 80 years old at this yeah. point and like no one is that precious about it. So, so it's, it's okay to, it's okay to, you know, like, like play around with it a little bit, you know, and then there's, there's going to be people being like butchering a classic or whatever. And I'm sure, you know, I'm going to hear that, you know, 10 times this weekend, but like it, it's, uh, um, you know, if, if, if you like to have fun in life, you know, this, there's fun to be. Well, and I think unlike movie. what we were talking about with tragedy girls, this movie has a very playful, very, um, uplifting quality to it uh, that that i think makes it uh quite an it's funny to see a movie play in those two realms so comfortably the movie at, at times would shift between being a slasher picture you know it's something in the vein of and it's funny too the tone of slasher picture you were channeling in my mind was more of an i know what you did last summer or an urban legend in its in in its qualities than than it was a hardened slasher movie because uh, I always think of those movies as being particularly like Urban Legend I know did last summer uh, so much of that time and of that style of slasher film there, there's a music video-y coolness to it um, but then you juxtapose that with with the uh, uplifting Christmassy and I mean this in a positive way Hallmark Christmassy movie quality that also exists in the movie T totally uh, yeah I mean that then that was by design like we definitely like um, you know I wanted this movie to be like it's not the most hardcore no, horror movie, yeah. you know, like like it's meant to be you know sc scary ish, but it's it's like, um, you know, like it was meant to 
be kind of welcoming in a way, you know, like we didn't want to like ruin your fucking Christmas. <laughs> you know, like we wanted you to watch yeah. it at Christmas, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and that's like the, um, you know, that's the balance. Um, and so, um, uh, yeah, like I definitely have a lot of respect for the, 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 you know, the movies that are, uh, you know, are, are kind of just something you throw on like, like a, like a urban legend or something like that, even though like, um, you know, ha have that, um, you know, like a level of, um, of uh, severity to to the the, the horror. Yeah, Does that totally. make sense? So, so we, we we you know we weren't trying to like really back it off a time, but we also knew that we didn't have you know like as much time as we wanted for certain things. So so like you know we were kind of trying to with within the resources we had create you know some scary fun sequences. But they were prime like fun was number one, scary yeah. is number two. You know, and so like that's um uh you know like what what my you know I'm tr I'm was trying to create, and um then you have um you know, uh, like we are playing in, we are directly satirizing, um, like kind of like Hallmark characterization and Hallmark perspective on holidays. People are, are, you know, like, uh, like a lot of people say Hallmark as like a dig, yeah. you know, like as in it's synonymous with like a lack of craft, yeah. you know, whereas like I have a, I have a lot of respect for like, for like the work that people put into those movies. And I understand, I also understand the complaint there's also a shit ton of people who really enjoy those movies and that's perfectly valid. That's the right? other thing is, it, 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 and that's what people don't get. Like the fact that like, you know, like, like, like I would cut a, like a movie, like a Christmas movie in my like living room, you know, like, and then, then you'd like more people would watch it than like anything else I'm ever going to make in my life, you know, like, or whatever. Then it's like more than that TV show that you love, you know, like, and, and it, it, you know, it's like, that was the biggest thing this weekend other than football, you know, like, and it's, it's, like people do like those things and, and pretending that, 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 um, that's not part of the, of the, you know, like the, the public consciousness, I think it's crazy. And then, and then, you know, like, um, like shit talking in these movies, I think is a very tired kind of basic perspective. And so I, you know, we, we, I think are, are using the, um, the kind of like, positivity of the uh, of like the you know um and having people kind of act in that timber um you know and i'm trying to use it in, in this in this uh you know a somewhat satirical way I, I but i i you know you have to kind of fly a little close to the sun so i don't know you know like it, it may not may not work as well as I, I you know i was i was i was hoping but but like it's it's been getting good reactions and and i you know like they literally do watch a a um a, a like christmas yeah, movie, yeah, yeah you know yeah. Like, like and 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 it's a christmas movie that that uh, that i worked on you know back in the back in the day you know like and and it's kind of funny because uh, like i i just like the um the fact that you have this somebody who exists in this world and then um you know like this small town like villain who's like you know real estate um uh mogul like scheme gets <laughs> yeah. dashed, you know, like, and then he just starts killing everybody. And then, and then, then you're in this very cheery world, but now you're with the perspective of a character who's devastated. And I think that's a very funny thing because it shows you that this ironic thing. And I, and I think that is something that's interesting about, about uh, people who are not in a good space around the uh, headspace around the holidays and who are lonely, who don't feel like they're part of something, who don't feel close to their family. And, and that's like, um, you aren't on the same page. And that's really what the movie's actually about, you know? Like, I think you could, like, look at the first 15 minutes of this movie and be like, it just looks like a homework movie, you know? And it's just like, dude, fucking keep watching. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, Hold like, like let's, you know, like, <laughs> You'll yeah, and, and I feel like that, like, you know, I mean, I've, I've had that my yeah. whole career. Like, you know, people, like, watch, you know, are, are writing reviews as they're watching your movie on their phone, you know, being like, hey, you know, like, here's well, a it's thought. I read you know, one like, review for the movie like, that, that, that I'll send it to you in case you haven't seen this one, but... Uh, and it's mostly favorable, but they had one very bizarre criticism to me. And I just, I was like, I need to share this with you because it's so strange to me. They were very 
displeased by the fact that you revealed the killer's identity right off at the start of the film. And they thought that was a very strange, miscalculated move. And I was like, why do people think that the killer needs to be a reveal all the time in these movies? Yeah, it's like I am so uninterested in who done it. <laughs> yeah. like, like it's 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 like we know criminal, Michael Myers you know? like, is the killer and, in the first fucking five minutes of that movie. <laughs> like, yeah, like like and, and and well well exactly yeah like Michael Myers is the kill you know Jason Voorhees like all the classic slashers like Scream was such a good movie and this what wrote that review is such a big fan of Scream that they think they understand slashers in a way they do they do not you know like and and it's like prior to Scream you really had like prom night. Yeah. You know, maybe like, like I guess to a certain extent, like yeah, House of yeah. Sorty Row, maybe like you know, like those sorts of, th- and even like that movie's more like practically a jello, you know, like and and that's you know, so like th- it's not a huge like it's not nearly as big a big a part of it as as Scream kind of framed it in the conversation as, and as a result, you have these people who are not actually like um you know like we're not very well read horror fans who who have have like sort of miss. Um, you know, like um, misattributed that to the history of horror in a way that it's not really because it's like an Agatha Christie yeah, trope. Yeah. You know, like um, and it, it's like a more of a mystery thing. And um, uh, you know, anyway, so so like I and to me, like like revealing that, like it's like, hey, if you think revealing the killer was miscalculation, watch the trailer. <laughs> like we do that <laughs> yeah, there too. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you know, but like I don't know what you thought you were getting into, but like you know, like it, it's you know, and you might it might cue you in to the the movie's not interested in that. You know, like like by You'll be like, hey, man, this whodunit would work way better if it was at the end of the movie. <laughs> if it you was know, a like, whodunit? It's like, oh, really? You know, fuck, I, I didn't think about that. You know, yeah. like, um, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I, yeah, so, so, I mean, and fair enough, you know, maybe like, you know, maybe he's in the mood or she, he, I assume he yeah. um, was in the mood for a, for a, um, for a whodunit, um, you know, we just were not the one, you know, but, but uh, he should have, he should have yeah. watched the trailer because we didn't <laughs> Now the cast it. is across the board fantastic and, 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 and there's too many great people to list off all their names here. Uh, and, and, and quite a few of them have wonderful genre cred, uh, Catherine Isabel, William B. Davis, people like this who, who genre fans will know well, but, but I, I wanted to zero in as I'm sure other people have with you as well on Justin Long for a second, because I, the thing that he's doing this movie, the, the arch kind of, it's it's big and i loved every second of it it he felt like the villain from an old christmas special or something it's such a but it's such a ballsy thing because there will be i bet i i just have a feeling there will be a camp of people who go what is he doing here did did it feel when you and justin were kind of doing this together and and building up this character and working on set kind of you know as there are there's discoveries and things that you you develop along the way did you did you have that thing of going? Hmm. Are people going to think this is just too big? Like, was that ever a concern? Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was a concern. Um, I mean, like, uh, fortunately, our um, you know, like, I mean, I kind of like big villains, and like Christmas movies tend to have pretty big villains. Like, there's kind of a history of you know, like you got the Hans Gruber's, yeah. you know, like you know, like, like you've got the you know, it's okay to 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 um to try and, and make things a little bit more outlandish, especially when you're, it's a supernatural yeah. story, you know, like, like, I don't know what to tell you, you know, like it's, it's not a particularly grounded tone, like, you know, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, I, I think what seemed interesting to Justin about this movie was, um, the fact that he could take some yeah. big swings, you know, like, um, and you know, like he could come in with a very specific look and, and we kind of sh- shape that, but he's a fountain of, of like a fire, really more of a fire hose of, of ideas. And, and so for me, it becomes about like kind of, you know, steering it without it, it kind of, you know, breaking the tone and, and maybe they, you know, 
you know, like it is, it is an outlandish, you know, like thing, um, especially to see out of context, you know, like, but, but I do think um, he lands the like backstory of it. And, and, uh, and he is like this guy who, who puts forward this artifice. And it, I think it makes sense from a character perspective, like, um, you know, and so, I mean, you know, like if, if, if you don't, I mean, if you're not on board with it, like, you know, like that's, that's, that's okay. I mean, you don't, you know, I mean, you don't need to, you know, you know, you don't need to love the movie, you know, like, um, you know, like it's, you know, you can get up and leave, you can turn it off, you can, <laughs> I hope, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's I'm kinda, trying to make it seem like, like, uh, cause I yeah. love the movie and I think a lot of people will love the movie, but it was just definitely one of those things where we're watching Justin who, who is beloved, I think, by horror audiences because he's done so many great horror roles. I was, it was just so fun to see him get to be that big and in a movie where it made sense for him to, to get to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's done like, like all sorts of really fine performances in very different tones, you know, like, and, uh, you know, like, and, uh, you know, like, but my favorite stuff of his is, is like the weird yeah. stuff, you know, like, like I, I do think Tusk. that, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tusk is like bizarre, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and he's, you know, he's like, like that movie ends up in a very strange place, you know, and, and that's, that's interesting to me, you know, like, and, um, you know, I really, like, I don't mind him in like, you know, like, like idiocracy, yeah. you know, like, like, that sort of, you know, like that. I mean, he's fucking killed. Yeah. And, like, you know, barbarian, you know, like obviously, you know, most, most recently. And they kind of like, you know, really, I think also play with this kind of nice guy assumption that he has. And we're, you know, like we're playing him more directly against type. Um, but, but, you know, he is a villain, you know, like, um, and, and so and he's like a mustache twirly villain, right? Like he's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, well, totally. yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is like, I mean, I don't know, like I've, I've, I've done some other, you know, like I do like, you know, big villains and, um, I mean, you, I mean, we've talked about patchwork. I mean, they, like you can't get a weirder yeah. villain than yeah. that guy. Totally. You know, like, like uh, Corey Sorensen, you know, like, and, and the thing is like, I, I, I think it's fun to have a big, you know, silly villain. Cause I think. I think villainy in life is kind of yeah, silly, you know, yeah. like, like, uh, you know, uh, like it's, it, it, it's always so funny to me when you're like arguing with somebody about stuff and you're just like, you kind of get to the point where you're just like, wow, like I can't really explain to you how to care about people. And I find that people, people who don't care about people very silly, you know, like, and, and as a result, like, I think my villains tend to be, to be a little silly, um, you know, well, I, I, you know what I made me think of is in Gremlins, the old lady in that, the, 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 the horrible, nasty, cantankerous lady who comes in, you know, and is mean to the dog, and she, you broke my snowman, like, she's so over the top, and it totally suits that Rockwellian concept, and, and that Rockwellian kind of setting is very much the setting of this film. Yeah, yeah, well, it's totally, and, and, and things like, you know, and I get it, like, you know, if it's not your cup of tea, like, you know, like, 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 it's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's, um, that's okay. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting and entertaining, and I, and I, and I, we tried to, we tried to pull it back when it felt like yeah. it was too much, you know, like, um, but, um, but there are some moments in there that I feel like really, like, legit, you know, very much work, it's, but, you know, I think Justin found some really fun Oh, it's stuff a laugh that, out loud, funny um, performance. You know, sure. like, yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so, you know, like, and, you know, so, I mean, but also like seeing people taking those big swings is like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like taking big swings and I, and I, you know, like, um, I think like pulling your punches in that way is not it, not to mix metaphors here, but, um, is not the, uh, uh, it's not the way to approach telling yeah. stories, you know, like, like, uh, you know, you don't, you kind of have to. Well, and, and the, the, the character he plays has sort of this, you know, there's a there's a there's a, an aspect of the film that that is dealing with sort of a commentary on the commercialism of the holiday and and and, and you know conformity and and the long character to me does sort of have certain qualities that might remind people of a certain former president. Um, you know, was that stuff that was all in on at a script level, or or did it sort of come? Yeah, I mean, we weren't trying to go super Trumpy with it, like like uh, like Joel 
uh sure yeah like um yeah like like we knew that like we're, we're playing um Joel uh kind of against type as well you know like but but in a different less outlandish way and so for, when Justin we were shaping his stuff it was like um you know he we knew that he also was coming in with like a fair amount of like assumption about him comedically and so um like we we weren't going after Trump specifically but but like um like uh Justin did pull in a like Joel Olstein kind of and he gave him sort of this sort of like soft like I think more for the voice well, I just thought of Trump because you know like orange. um bad spray tan yeah thing. yeah i mean i mean hey maybe and, and, and you know we did talk about that but like you know i that is something that's you know kind of characteristic of trump but but like i i don't know like i don't think he was trying to channel trump specifically but i think it was one of the one of the influences like we did we talked about like you know the michael douglas and wall street kind of asshole yeah. you know like there's something about those like you know kind of like older businessmen that you know again is like something that justin doesn't get, get to do a lot mostly because he you know he's kind of has this sort of younger kind of um uh, vibe and look, you know, um, energetic assumption about yep. him, like, you know, and, uh, and, and so it's, you know, it's interesting to me to try and use him in, in a different, use that person um, in a different way. Uh, I mean, yeah. and there's the stuff sort of towards, you know, in the third act where we, you know, and I won't give away anything here because the movie is just out and I want people to get to experience it without, uh, any, any spoilers, but, but there, there is a, a, an aspect of the plot that's talking about sort of a hive mindedness that people can develop. And you, it's interesting to me. I thought that was so smart and, and, and articulated so well is, is how much you see that around Christmas time when you go to malls and things like that, was that sort of a, 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 uh, a, a point for you of sort of wanting to draw that parallel of 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 that mob mentality and how we we can see that you know on Black Friday and thing, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was definitely part of it. Like, like I, you know, it was it was an element that was uh, played a little differently in the script. Um, uh, and uh, you know, it ended up being um, something where we, you know, like uh, like the Aurora, uh, like like essentially, there's this moment in the movie where um, Winnie kind of makes a wish on the Aurora, and I'm not really giving anything away. That's like that's in uh, the trailer. Um, yeah, this in the trailer. Um, but like the idea that the Aurora is kind of this magical element that's sort of showing her a nightmare version of, of her life. And um, as a result, it sort of started to kind of appear in other in other somewhat magical ways. And so we had to kind of like, uh, you know, based on the edit and stuff like that um, and what was working and what was not, um, we had to sort of re rethink it a little bit. And um, but I do think there's this theme of like of like, you know, the commercialization of Christmas and, and uh, how the fact that like everyone's buying and giving the same gifts to each other, you know, like th that you kind of like, like the mob mentality of it is definitely something that, that the film is trying to kind of like, you know, like, like trying to get people to have those genuine connections and make those genuine moments and make them, you know, like, like, uh, you know, take that time to make them special. And, and that is against the idea of, of these, the, the town being kind of taken over by this drone mentality, you know, um, that's rooted in grief and fear and, and things like that. Um, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely something we, we, we talked about and it's there in a more thematic way, but, but, you know, it is, you know, somewhat literally manifested as you'll see in the, and the film. The, uh, Aiden Howard, Howard's character, uh, Jimmy, the main character's brother uh, is, is a characterization I really enjoyed and, and, and I think was really, really beautifully handled both by you as the filmmaker and, and, and by Aiden as the actor, uh, because it's, it's just to me, there's so many things about that character that go against the grain of what we are used to seeing in horror films. You know, he's sort of the jock character, but he's a gay character. Uh, he's, he's, he can be sort of the jock characterization, but he's also sensitive and he's also quite a likable guy. Um, you know, was that something that for you that you were looking at? You know, if we're, if we're going to have this this character in here, we're going to do this. We're we're going to shake this up. We're going to do something different with this. 
Um, yeah, I mean th- that was on the that was from the first draft. Like like it was um you know like like he was sort of this all star kind of sports kind of character, but likable and and was like not really um like um a like bro. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, like, 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 I mean, yeah, it was, you know, like, it definitely could play in that area, but like, was, um, you know, was, was, uh, you know, an out gay character who, who was kind of a golden child, you know, like, and that was, uh, something that I thought was kind of, you know, was interesting because, like, a, you don't see a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, like, uh, like gay sports characters, um, that are, or queer sports characters in general, um, that they're not, uh, that's not, that's not like a subject of no, what the movies, yeah. you know, like, like, and, and it's, you know, like, uh, and, uh, that was, um, so I really liked that that was intact and that, that it was just like, like, I mean, you know, I don't like the, 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 uh, and that it kind of snowballed over time, like during the development and then, you know, during the casting process, like, you know, like it, we ended up with like a family that has multiple queer characters and like, as somebody who has like, you know, in my immediate family, there's multiple queer people like, you know, it didn't seem that weird, you know, and, and, um, and like the studio was very supportive of that sort of stuff. Whereas like a couple of years ago, like that, you know, was not as like, I don't know. It would have been hard no, to get away yeah, with that. For sure. You know? I was thinking that for me as a gay person watching the movie and, and thinking of like so much of the time in slasher films and, and, and not just slasher in, in many films, but but sticking with the slashers for a second here, like when there is a mm. gay character, so much of the time they are so uh, they're either the brunt of some stupid joke or or they're so archetypy, they're so tropey that it, it it gets almost annoying to me at times. Where I'm like, you know, what it yeah. and, and the functionality of, of 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 why they've written a character that way. So here to see a character that was played um in a way that uh you know when he's kind of absent from the story for a period uh i missed that character it was and i and i thought that was important to the movie i mean yeah and and that was really like we we looked hard and and found like aiden was was a really great balance like we there was a couple other actors were kind of like we were considering um and and aiden kind of won one of the work because he's very like just out of the box just really likable and just very like well me you know and he was just like very a dream to work with and and it's been awesome seeing him pop up in, in goosebumps also with justin weirdly um but uh uh you know he's he's awesome in that if anyone wants to go but um but uh but yeah like you know he, he is, he's so sunny, yeah, you know, yeah. like and, and, and in this way that you really miss when he's out of it. Like, and uh, at one point I was trying to convince Michael to, um, uh, that maybe he should, uh, get killed at the beginning of the movie, you know, like as the trauma that kind of kicks everything off rather than, rather than, um, uh, when he's best friend. And then, uh, but, but, uh, then he would still be dead at the end of the film, you know, like, and, 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 and Michael was like, like, no, we can't really, and like, you know, and he, but anyway, I think Aiden did a, 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 you know, a really good job kind of realize, you know, realizing that. And I, and I think, you know, like was like found a version of the character that was not leaning on yeah. those, uh, on cliches, you know, like, and, and we were able to kind of like, you know, like as a result, like, I, like I really thought some of the other stuff floated to the surface, like the, like there's some things that are a bit cringy, like the, like the Judy, who's the mother character, like gives, um, uh, Aiden a like rainbow ornament, you know, like, like which is like, which is like, you know, like, like saying like, it's, it's sort of hanging a lantern on like, I'm an ally <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, like, um, and, and we're, but we're with him kind of understand that like, oh, this is like something that I have to then carry for the rest of my life, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, but it's like, you know, I don't really necessarily want it on the tree, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and, and so it's like, you appreciate the gesture, but it also is very, very like parent thing yeah, to do, yeah. you know? And so, and that's like a different level of, of conversation about, about what it means to be queer in a holiday setting or, or, you know, in, or any setting, you know? And so I, like, I'm, I'm glad that Michael was able to put some of that stuff in there and we were able to kind of engage with it on, on that level. Cause I do think, 
you know, like as somebody who's who's not queer myself, like I can empathize with with the experience to a, to a certain degree. But um, but, you know, like I, I still am not the right person to tell a lot of stories that are do, dealing with like the direct, um, you know, like like um, are, like are directly dealing with that. But what I can do is is like include those you know like these these elements in as part of the yeah. world you know like and and that just you know like i think can help you know like just you know with with people who who are still you know coming to grips with with you know these things in various ways over as culture does over time you know like um like i think you know like doing what we can to you know have as you know like that that presence in the in the in the film in a in a way that's that's authentic is is really what i'm kind of hoping it does you know like um and you know, I I have to say, like, it's definitely a movie. I think for me and other people who, who see the film, that's going to get added to their their list of you know annual holiday Christmas horror movies. Um, was was that something you know for you just as a filmmaker that that gives you that little tickle of joy to know that this could become the kind of movie that that someone watches every year at Christmas time? I mean, I, I yeah, that'd be, I mean, that's the dream. You know, I'm hoping somebody somebody you know like wants to revisit it or or you know do the. Uh wonderful life uh knife double <laughs> yeah, feature you know yeah. like uh and uh you know that's the um you know i, I definitely um you know i i have my kind of go-tos uh, especially kind of christmas horror movies and and so um uh, yeah i'm, I'm uh, the response we've been getting so far has been it's been really cool to to see the movie at beyond fest with an audience and then a few other, a few of the other festivals we got to travel a bit for it um and uh, and it's been cool, kind of seeing people sort of discover it, because uh, you know, and then you know, I'm I'm excited for it to come. What does the movie get? Is is the movie out now theatrically? Yeah, I know it, it, uh, it comes out. Uh, yeah, it comes out today actually. Uh, so the previews yeah. are tonight, and, uh, and then it comes out uh, tomorrow, which is Friday. When we're recording this, it's Friday, November tenth, uh, and uh, and then uh, it'll be on um, on streaming at a later date, uh, but, but uh, likely before Christmas. I was just going to so, ask you, um, will it be in be time for this Christmas? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it will be in time for this Christmas on 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 streaming, and uh, we just, we don't have an exact date yet, but um, but you, they can catch it theatrically uh, this weekend. Even though I'm, I believe when this drops, it'll be yeah. Too well, late, so. we'll make sure to uh, to do a, a a post about when it is coming out streaming to coincide with this as well, since we might catch it sort of in between. But um, uh, before I let you go, I want to just get a few Christmas horror recommendations from your Christmas horror playlist. What are what are a couple of your favorites that you that you think people should watch? Come ho 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 time. I would say, uh, uh, like my, my go-to classic is probably Scrooged, um, the Richard Donner Scrooged. I, I think that's on a lot of people's. Um, but something that maybe a little bit, um, you know, last couple of years is is um, Better Watch Out, um, uh, which is a, a, a directed by Chris Peckover, which is um, a, a, you know I think underseen um, film that was kind of making this festival rounds with Tragedy Girls, and so I've I've always kind of uh, had a affection for that movie and i think it's awesome um and uh do you have anything else in, coming down the pike that you can tease a bit or anything you can mention uh yeah i mean i'm, I'm working on a on a sort of uh um more like a like a kids horror movie with uh with paramount right fantastic now. well uh thank you so much tyler it's been a blast in here talking about your work and uh it's been as fun talking with you as it is to watch the movie so i appreciate it oh thanks so much happy christmas You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane, produced by Jason Hill, and co-produced by Felipe Ojeda. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Hatton. Original artwork and design elements generously produced by Matthew Terrian. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by the support of listeners like you. 
And the most important thing you can do to ensure that these amazing interviews keep coming is to simply get the word out. You can find us on Facebook by searching Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts, Instagram at, all one word, Spill Your Guts underscore podcast, and Twitter at Spill Your Guts underscore one, as in the number one. Post, comment, share, like. But don't forget that good old-fashioned word of mouth still goes a long way. The best way you can support what we do is to just tell people about us. Friends, family, co-workers, whomever. Anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for guts. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.